you don't know how consumers are going to change their behavior moving forward. Are we going to get back to normal? Is 2022 just going to be like this never happened? Or are behaviors completely going to shift? Behaviors uh, from the consumers matter a great deal because the U.S. economy is about 70% comprised from consumer spending. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Well, it's time for another episode of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here with Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design in Northeast Ohio with offices in Akron and Canfield. You can find Kevin by going online to truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com. It is going to be a fun episode today because we are shooting from the hip. Kevin gave me no heads up of what we're talking about today. I feel like a uh, a media member in one of uh, the press conferences that the president does each day on coronavirus. Kevin, I have no idea what to expect. <laughs> yeah, well, I figured after the Lysol moment last week, the bar's been set really low to shoot from the hip, so I figured, what the hey? But uh, I actually screwed up. So uh, we've been recording our calls recently on Tuesdays, and uh, Walter was not available for a recording on a Tuesday, and so it's uh, here we are on a Monday. And I had been thinking about some things, I guess, as it relates to the whole COVID situation that we've been going through and some parallels to retirement planning. So I'm going to shoot from the hip and see if I can make some good points and get some people thinking about this. And um, and if I don't, well, (laughs) hey, our president does it as well. So there we go. I like it because, um, you know, you're so well prepared, Kevin, that this is kind of fun, actually, that this Monday recording snuck up on you a little bit and uh, that we can kind of get you a little bit out of your comfort zone. That should lead us down a, a good road, I think. I'm sure you'll still just be as polished and, you know, uh, a great communicator as ever. But maybe we'll get uh, get a little something different out of today's episode. Walter, I was just trying to get myself a little bit of wiggle room here and like really lower the bar. And now you just went ahead and did that. Thanks a lot, buddy. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, I'm part of the press, right? So I've got to hold your feet to the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Fake news. In in the scenario that we've drawn up, at least. Yes. Yeah. We're we're not going to go down the political. I mean, I hope everybody can laugh about what happened last week in in a sense. Obviously, we're going through a very serious situation. And I'm going to state that now because I think some of the things that I say today could potentially be misconstrued. I don't mean to minimize the seriousness of the situation that we are going through from a health perspective. It is serious, but mathematically and statistically, I think there's some interesting parallels we can draw between what's been going on uh, with COVID and also what is happening in your own personal retirement planning or some other financial aspects. So there's kind of two big things that I'm going to shoot from the hip on today. One is uh, risk versus uncertainty, and I'll talk about what that means. And then secondly, I'll talk about nonlinear modeling, which I'm sure I just lost about 90% of the listeners right there when I said that. Uh, but it really has had some really interesting implications uh, when you look at some of the projections that were made uh, for the spread of COVID. And it also shows up when you're making retirement planning projections about how much money that you need or uh, can spend. Uh, so we'll see. I'm going to try to thread the needle here and, and connect some dots. But we'll start with risk and uncertainty. So risk 
everybody's heard the phrase risk and return related. Well, you know, what does that really mean? If we back up a little bit before that, and risk is something that is generally considered quantifiable. Um, you know what the probability is. For example, we all buy car insurance, homeowners insurance. Uh, most of us have life insurance or had life insurance at one point in time. Basically, these actuaries for these insurance companies, they don't know what your individual probability is of needing to utilize your homeowner's policy, your auto policy, or, or if you may pass away unexpectedly. However, because of the law of large numbers and they can have, say, you know, a group of people over the whole state of Ohio or uh, say, you know, for your home insurance, you know, not much happens in Ohio. We don't get a lot of tornadoes. Uh, we don't get hurricanes there, not really any earthquakes. It's a beautiful state where not a lot bad happens in that regard. So no natural disasters. So the premiums are pretty low. I can tell you being also uh, having a home in Florida that you come down to Florida, big difference in terms of what you're going to pay for your premiums. So these insurance companies know this, they can model it and they can price it. They know the probability of a lot of these events, uh, life insurance, car insurance, even longevity, how long somebody's likely to live, all that kind of plays into it. Uh, when you get into uncertainty, however, it's kind of, um, they're, they're definitely related risk and uncertainty, but uncertainty is really not quantifiable. You don't know what the probability is. Nobody knew the probability of a COVID situation happening. It was more of a, a shock. You know, sometimes you'll hear economists oftentimes will say, well, it was an exogenous shock to the system. Uh, the system, it basically, think of it as like a little box. And then they'll do this modeling and say, you know, all these assumptions that we make. And here's kind of our prediction of what the future is going to be. And it's nice and neat in this little box. Well, the way that the world works is there's a lot of things that happen. Uh, that certainly are not quantifiable. Uh, a lot of natural disasters, for example, you don't know what the probability uh, of a hurricane hitting Florida is. You know, there's uh, things that are changing. The, the traditional actuarial science that works really well for life insurance and car insurance doesn't work all that well when it gets into, say, catastrophe insurance, for example. Um, so it, it falls short there. The COVID situation, obviously, huge risk, uh, huge shock to the system, huge financial turmoil being caused by it. Um, but you don't know what the probability was that it was going to happen. What you also don't know, and I think this is very uh, important for investors and people planning for retirement right now, you don't know how consumers are going to change their behavior moving forward. Are we going to get back to normal? Is 2022 just going to be like if this never happened or are behaviors completely going to shift? Uh, and if so, are they going to stay shifted or are they going to kind of revert back over time? Behaviors um, from the consumers matter a great deal because the U.S. economy is about 70% comprised from consumer spending. So are they going to say, well, hey, you know, I've been kind of shut in now for six weeks. Uh, I don't like that. I miss socializing. I had uh, a, a client who's also a friend send me a text message uh, yesterday and said, man, I'm never saying no to any social invite I get ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect example, right? He's, he's, he's longing for it to just to get out there and have some social interaction. Other people may, may take it differently and, and say, well, Hey, you know, that's risky, but everybody's going to have a shift in some regard. This is certainly going to be one of those things 
things that is going to change you know people's behaviors uh maybe forever I don't know. Things do tend to, we tend to have a short memory, uh, but uh, you don't know, you can't predict how this is going to happen. And so when I, when I see what, uh, you know, you turn on the CNBC and you're starting to hear these forecasts on one hand, you're getting these wall street banks or other people, other prognosticators that are saying, well, we see the S and P 500 being at this level at the end of the year. And, and they're, they're making some assumptions about, you know, what people are willing to pay for stocks, what the earnings are going to be for these companies. Uh, it's easily to observe what the current dividends are for the companies, even though that a lot of companies are, are stopping dividends, um, because they need the money. Um, but, if you look at it the other way and you're getting into companies that are reporting their first quarter earnings, all of the companies are saying, look, we're not providing any guidance because we're experiencing a lot of uncertainty. This is not quantifiable, which to me is just extraordinarily interesting. On one hand, you have the company saying, we don't know what the heck's happening. On the other hand, you have these prognosticators are saying, well, this is where we see the market at the end of the year. <laughs> and and it, it makes no sense whatsoever. These forecasts have never really made any sense. They're more akin to a coin flip. This is probably the premier example of that, where you have the companies that comprise the stock market saying, we have no idea what's going to happen to our business for all this uncertainty that we're going through, how it's changing the world. But then you have prognosticators that are out there that are making predictions on what the market is actually worth and what people are going to be willing to pay for it. it makes no sense whatsoever. We Back in March, at some point, we still are going to do a redux of kind of working through this crisis, things that we did, things that we got right, things that maybe we could have done better on. Uh, but I, I think I'd mentioned in a prior podcast episode, for about of a third of our clients, we actually suggested that they increase risk in March. And the vast majority of them, uh, probably 95% or so, you know, followed the recommendation. And simply put, the way that I was thinking about it was, look, even if I say, I, if you think about earnings of a company, and uh, most everybody has heard of something called like the price earnings ratio, for example. Well, you know, you get some big, expensive, large companies in the U.S. that have done really well. You might have a price to earnings ratio of 20. So basically, uh, you're buying that stock today. And for every dollar of earnings, you're, you're paying 20 times it. So you, you, when you do something like that, you're not just buying earnings for 2020 or 2021. You know, you're buying earnings for the next several years, more than a decade. So the way that I went through that thought experiment, even though there's so much uncertainty, even though it was a very scary time in March, even though I I had no clue what was going to happen if it was going to get worse. If I just went ahead and took some simple modeling in a spreadsheet and said, okay, you know, hey, here's what, you know, kind of this basket of companies is doing in terms of earnings. If I just go ahead and completely truncate 2020 and say it's a zero, uh, and maybe even 2021 is a zero, what does that really do to what's uh, a reasonable price, assuming that things get back to normal in 2022? Uh, And when I did that, it just seemed like the market had sold off more than it should have. Um, so we sent out that email, uh, and maybe I'll read it verbatim in this future episode. And I, I look, I probably look smart right now for doing it. Um, that it was not a timing decision. It was, I'm happy that I sent that. Uh, I, you know, I think you've got to do any of these things with a lot of 
just be humble. Uh, there's some things that maybe you can tell and some other things that you think you know that you really don't. Uh, but right now, I mean, it's really difficult for the reasons that I said. I mean, the companies don't know what they're going to do. Um, I, I can't really tell if something is underpriced. And even when you do something like that, it's not a short-term phenomenon that you're looking at. It's You're not saying that, hey, you know, stocks are going to be higher at the end of the year. It could have gotten a lot worse. It still could get a lot worse than even the lows that we hit in the third week of March. You don't know. Um, and so you really have to, you know, kind of plan through this. You have to know what risk you're taking. And you have to be able to deal with uncertainty. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about it, particularly when you're going through retirement planning process. You need to know where your dollars are coming from to meet your bills for this month and for next month. And those have to come from very safe assets. When you're dealing with riskier assets and with uncertainty, that can be met with longer term assets. So that was, you know, this whole risk versus uncertainty is, is really important. Um, There's certain things, again, that you can quantify, other things that you can't. But we live in a world where from a planning standpoint, we have to be able to deal with both of those. And you really need to be able to tell the difference between the two, because if you think you can go ahead and uh, account for uncertainty by modeling risk, that may this may sound a little wonky, but you could really get in trouble in a situation like that. Uh, so so let me, I guess, take a break. Uh, Walter, I'm shooting from the hip here. So uh, how fa- how am I doing so good? Did I, I didn't ask you to go ahead and inject me with anything or study UV <laughs> light rays or anything like that, but am I doing okay? Yeah, you didn't make any faux pas there for me to jump all over you as a uh, media member here. So no, you're doing great. And I mean, I, I identify with a lot of what you're talking about there with the risk being uh, quantifiable, but the uncertainty just being, you know, all these prognosticators coming out on different ends of the equation. I mean, and we've seen this before. I feel like it's just heightened right now due to coronavirus. But I think the biggest thing I was surprised with, I was surprised that the market did stop dropping where it did. I thought it was going to keep going further and further because it just seemed like everybody was worked into such a tizzy and there was so much uncertainty and so much fear out there. I was kind of you know, to surprise to see it bottom out where it did, at least for the moment. We don't know what will happen in the future. But I, I was just, more so surprised by how quickly it bounced back and retraced so much of its lows that, you know, the Fed, as we had talked about, it really came in and has really taken not only used 2008 playbook, but they ex- executed it in like two minute offense and then they added to it substantially. I mean, they did some things absolutely unprecedented uh, and and that was great. And they did exactly what they should have done. But just how positively markets have responded, particularly certain segments of markets have responded. Um, I mean, I'm certainly welcomed. I'm happy to see it. But that was definitely surprising to me. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, So risk versus uncertainty, big piece of the puzzle. And uh, we're going to see that continue to play out because there's still plenty of risks in our path related to the coronavirus and COVID and uh, still plenty of uncertainty out there as well. Now, you dropped that big term earlier, nonlinear modeling. (laughs) Right. Are are we heading that direction? We we are. We are. (laughs) I'm going to put on my smart glasses here for the last portion. But um, You know, whenever you uh, are making these projections, say for a retirement plan, 
And I think we've, well, even before I go there, so we've all heard this kind of flattening the curve. So the curve basically was um, when you looked at uh, this kind of spread rate and people get infected and uh, there's kind of the the rate that that that's happening. And we've all probably heard that, you know, one person gets infected and at least the belief at the time was they're going to infect two or three other people. A lot of things continue to change here. You know, it's it's been big very clear that a lot of people that are actually infected are asymptomatic, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that are probably going to continue to change. So I don't want to pretend that I have all this kind of hard evidence at this point, but, but that curve, you know, basically if you think about it in your mind and you're, you're looking at that, that image, you know, there's uh, going from left to right, there's this line that, that keeps going higher and higher at, at really a faster rate. Um, you know, that's kind of nonlinear or exponential. And if you've ever looked at a chart of money growing um, and you look over it a long enough period of time, you see the same sort of phenomenon happening. Think about it when you started saving maybe in your 20s and and you didn't have more than about two nickels to rub together, but you started and you put away a little bit and you started going from there. And over time, you got a little bit more and a little bit more. You advanced and kind of worked up the career ladder and uh, went ahead and made more money, but didn't change your lifestyle all that much. So you started saving even more. And uh, over time, uh, you, you built up a nice little nest egg. And then it, particularly if you got lucky and had a good series of returns, say in your 50s, when you had been saving at this point for more than 30 years, and you had uh, a couple really good years, uh, say going through your 50s, late 50s, when uh, you had accumulated all this money. And all of a sudden, what you see is your money grew and maybe doubled. You know, and, and basically you earned more do- you grew more dollars in, say, just the last couple years than you did in the whole entirety of the prior, you know, 30, 35, maybe even 40 years. So same sort of kind of curve increasing at an increasing rate, nonlinear. Um, linear is just kind of a, as it implies, a straight line. So this has ramifications, as I just talked about, in terms of money uh, accumulation. Uh, I just did some quick numbers. This was the only preparation that I did. I, I took about uh, two minutes before I signed on Walter. And so I, I guess I'm not completely shooting from the hip, but I had two minutes on the hip. So, so <laughs> here, here's kind of the math that I did. Um, let's assume that... Uh, so we left a hundred thousand dollar inheritance to our twenty-year-old uh, grandchild when we passed. They go ahead and they invested for forty years. And if they were to earn a six percent return, and they're, they're a great grandchild, they're going to be very you know steadfast in that and uh, tax efficient, and they're not losing any money to taxes, no fees, or and they're not going to go blow it, you know, wherever. So that six percent earns and compounds each and every year. They invested for forty years. Now they're sixty. So they received it when they were 20, $100,000 inheritance, grew for 40 years, 6% return. Walter, I'll put you on the spot here. What do you think it ends up at? That's got to be a couple million dollars, right? It's about a million bucks. And so I'm just going to use round numbers here. But you're in the seven figures. I'll count that as a partial. You get partial credit for that. Partial credit. There we go. (laughs) It's like I I always loved in uh, at least advanced math where you had to show your work because even if you didn't get the – the answer right the process yeah you get that partial credit partial credit yeah. absolutely i love partial credit so I, I well i like getting the answer right as well but um <laughs> so let, let's say that we go from a six percent return to an eight percent return so if i'm working from six year so it's obviously two percent more two percent is is a third of six so it's a 33 percent greater return going from six to eight and here 
if we have that same $100,000, we earn 8% each and every year, no fees, no taxes, untouched. Ooh, ask me again. 40 years later, did you break out a calculator? (laughs) No, I was just going to say probably a couple million dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Good job, Walter. Inductive reasoning. Very, very good. Um, So you're you're exactly right. It is a couple million dollars. It's uh, it's about 2.2 million. Wow. Uh, That's a significant difference from a 2% difference leads to a pretty big difference at the end. So let me put it in these terms. So a 33% greater return leads to 120% greater wealth. 33% 33% greater return leads to 120% greater wealth. Nonlinear, exponential, and big difference. Small change in the input leads to a really big change in the output. And so I've been thinking about, and certainly, I mean, this is something that you know we deal with all the time. Um, and this is also why retirement planning is that ing it's that present participle that we've talked about before you're going to make projections uh and when you're starting out and say you're in your 20s or 30s i mean the runway or the ballpark is just so wide um but as you get closer say to retirement a lot of the things that you know you can do a good job measuring what somebody's going to spend uh, there's a lot of sort of uncertainty that you i guess there's a lot of risk if you will that you can kind of take out of the equation but you still can't predict investment returns there's always going to be these exogenous shocks to the system you don't you can't predict returns exactly there's a lot of um uh, just uncertainty when, when it goes into the markets in general and you, you have to be able to deal with it like i said uh in, in short it's it's making sure that you're matching your assets back to your plan uh properly you know you can deal with you know the short-term expenses that you have with high quality assets you know cash high quality bonds short-term bonds and as you go out in terms of the time spectrum you can go up in terms of the risk and uncertainty spectrum and one of the things that was very interesting to me as we went over the last you know, four to six weeks or last two months at this point where here we are at the end of April. Do you remember that the cruise ship that um, uh, it was like the Diamond Princess? I guess there was a couple of cruise ships that they really wouldn't let come in. Mm-hmm. But Went uh, off it, Japan and. Yes. And so and it was interesting to me because at that point um, you had this, I think it was like 700 people that were on the ship. And these people really didn't know about the virus at that point in time. And so they're just, you know, they're out there cruising. They're living life on that little Petri, that big Petri dish that they were on. You know, they're probably just, you know, all the handrails, maybe even licking some elevator buttons, who knows. (laughs) But they're not even paying attention. You know, coronavirus, COVID was not even really on the radar for much of that. And so it was like this little experiment that was going on. And and at the time, and I'm going to talk about some numbers here. Don't take them as gospel. Um, I, I've read some articles. I've read some science. You know, this stuff could have changed, but it, it's not going to take away from, I think, the point that I'm trying to make here. But it was something like a 20% infection rate and uh, the mortality rate at least at the time uh, there was a stanford epidemiologist who wrote a paper on kind of what we knew and what we didn't know about covid and this was uh, mid-march when the lockdowns were just happening um, he was really kind of in the minority and really looked at the diamond princess and talked about hey you know it's a 20 percent 20 percent of the people getting affected it seems to be about a one percent mortality rate the population is obviously a little bit older on these cruise ships. Um, so when you look at it across you know, a bigger population, say for the U.S., obviously COVID is disproportionately affected people that are older chronologically or biologically. And 
and and he was just saying a lot of the the modeling that was being done the assumptions seemed to be off and seemed to be too conservative now i don't think anybody would argue that when you have a situation like this it's better to err on the side of being conservative right i mean we mm-hmm. don't want to be kind of shooting from the hip here uh and just say oh it's not going to be that bad let's go ahead and, and just kind of not shut it down right. I, I think like in ohio what governor dewine did and shutting it down he was certainly on the more aggressive front and i think it was completely accurate however at, at the time as well uh, i think i can't remember her position but she's kind of the head for the health department in ohio dr amy acted said something on the order of that there were a hundred thousand active cases of covid in ohio at the time is mid-march about the time that ohio was shut down now Remember what we already talked about in terms of kind of that exponential growth. And uh, today, or at least last week or so, I just kind of looked it up. Um, there was only 15,000 confirmed cases in Ohio. Now, granted, you know, there's a lot of people that are asymptomatic. There's probably a lot of people that, you know, that had it, that were tested, uh, but the test uh, wasn't positive for whatever reason. But nonetheless, we're talking about a month later, and even if you correct for some of those kind of imperfections in the data, 15,000 is a very small fraction of 100,000 cases that were stated to be in Ohio a month earlier, a month earlier. And when you're growing exponentially, you would have expected many, many more cases later on, even with social distancing. And so my point here is, Again, this pandemic, this curve, it was an exponential curve. These models used assumptions that, again, you could just be a little bit off. And I'm sure that these people that were doing these models probably had a bias to be conservative too because they knew the gravity of the situation. And ultimately, this has led to projections that were way off. And some of this, you know, again, it's back to that risk and uncertainty. They weren't sure, you know, what was social distancing really going to do? You know, maybe there are some precedents when you go over to to China, to South Korea, to Singapore. But those countries, you know, when they had prior outbreaks for for SARS or or whatever, I mean, those countries are different. The U.S. has never had this, and so this is uncertainty if there ever was one. So some of these assumptions on the spread rate were going into modeling the uncertainty about the spread under these social distancing assumptions that have been put in place and certainly have not been uniform state to state. There's been no national enforcement or guidance, but nonetheless. The modeling has been terribly more conservative and terribly wrong. Again, I'm not, I, let me make this emphatically clear, I am not saying that this is not a serious situation. It is. Uh, however, we're, we're on the brink here of kind of reopening and ripping the Band-Aid off or peeling it off or what have you. And I think we have to start thinking about not just what you know the scientists are saying, but really <laughs> about some of the other ramifications as well. I mean, there's obviously very real economic uh, implications that are going on. It's very clear that you know there's data that supports that for each 0.1 percent increase in the unemployment rate, you know there's alcoholism uh, increases, there's domestic violence increases, there's suicide increases, and this isn't a political statement. I am uh, I, I'm not a registered. Democrat. Democrat or or Republican, so basically, I I guess I, I offend both people. But this is just trying to look at the math and the signs here, and understanding risk and uncertainty, and and just looking at the data and trying to make an informed decision and really understanding the situation. 
I get it that we want to be conservative, but and we have been, particularly in Ohio. That's great, but the projections were were way way wrong. We did not have a hundred thousand cases in mid March of COVID, uh, even with fifteen thousand of last week, and even if we were to assume that you know it didn't grow at all from mid March, which is obviously not a realistic assumption, and even if you know there's say. If, I don't know, 100% more people that had it, that the test just failed. And then maybe a couple hundred percent more uh, from the 15,000 where they weren't tested and they were asymptomatic. We're still not getting to the $100,000 that they said were in place in mid-March. I'm sorry, Dr. Amy Acton, whatever data you were using was way wrong. I don't fault you for that. Better to be conservative. The key is now how are we going to use this going forward? Uh, a couple other examples before we, I guess, talk about that and wrap up. Walter, do you remember the New York City ventilator, or I guess New York State ventilator shortage? Sure. Yeah. We thought what it was going to be a, ma- a mass run on them. Yeah. What happened to it? Uh, we don't hear anything about it anymore. It they started gone shipping. Away. Yep. You got it. They started shipping ventilators to, to New Jersey and uh, I think to other states. So again, they re- I think- redistributed it. They got <laughs> it too much. <laughs> It completely, you know, they're, they're building um, these uh, building, I forget what they call them, just, you know, the kind of these makeshift hospitals that are probably never going to be used now. Again, no. better to err on the side of caution. I'm not trying to not be empathetic or not take the, ser- the situation seriously, but I think we're, we have to be honest in the assessment. Uh, a lot of this was just way wrong. Um, so as serious as it is, as it, is it has not become uh, to the level, even with the assumptions about benefits of social distancing and what have you. I mean, it just, it just hasn't gotten to the level that people said it was going to get to. Very well-informed, very smart people with very sophisticated modeling. And it just hasn't gotten there. Dr. Well, Fauci. Da- da- data and information changes. I mean, if the, the most visible things we had to go off were people being sealed in their homes in, in videos in China, welded into their homes and not able to come out, and then the awfulness of Italy. And so that was, if those two worst case scenarios are then what your initial modeling ends up being based off of, then that's really problematic because then if the worst case doesn't happen, you do end up this far off. That Just sort of from the layman's eyes, that's kind of how I see it all having played out we just had our initial modeling based off of these worst case scenarios and it didn't end up being kind of what the average experience is across the rest of the world yeah i i went we, we talked on a prior episode really before kind of the gravity of the situation hit and, and i mentioned the swine flu and uh i went back and it was shortly after we recorded the podcast but the mortality rate of that ended up being you know very low and it seems like even though we've, I think, had around 50,000 diagnosed deaths from COVID. And, and I get it. There's all kinds of issues with, well, there's other people that probably died that weren't diagnosed and what have you, and and maybe even some on the other side of that. But it seems like the the mortality rate is going to be pretty low, way, way lower, orders of magnitude lower than what was initially believed. And the same sort of thing happened uh, with the swine flu, it was initially be- believed to be like around one and a half percent, and then it ended up, I think, down to like you know point one or maybe even like point zero five percent. And who knows where this is all going to kind of shake out with COVID? Um, 
But the key is here, things are changing. And what I guess what I'm concerned about is, you know, we're, we don't know how people are going to behave, but I, I can speak personally for myself, personally for myself, that was a little bit redundant, but I can speak for myself in saying that, you know, I'm going to certainly pay attention. I'm, I'm going to, I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. I ordered my three cloth masks of uh, Pittsburgh Steeler kind of uh, logo on it. I'm going to be going out. Um, nice. I'm going to continue washing my hands. We're certainly going to continue to, you know, take precautions, but but I'm also ready to start getting back out there in a smart way and trying to get back to some sense of normalcy. You know, I, I do think we're kind of teetering on the brink where if this, you know, kind of overshooting in terms of being conservative is that we are going to run a real risk of having some implications that some of the, you know, kind of second order effects that we talked about from all the economic turmoil and, you know, the domestic violence and suicides and, and all this. I mean, it, again, this apolitical, but it's in the data, it's there, it happens. But I think you're getting to the point where continue to be uber conservative is probably posing more risks of, of some of the second order uh, effects being larger than the first order. So we'll see. You know, I certainly may regret just saying the sentence that I said. Uh, I, I don't think that I will. Um, but I think we all need to, and what I'm saying is, at least from what I can tell, certainly in the minority. Um, you know, I think, uh, I don't know, 60-some percent of the population is uh, definitely wants to go ahead and kind of continue as, as we are and, and, and stay in. And Well, and just, well of course, because some people are making more money unemployed with the extra 600 a month than they were when they were employed. <laughs> yes, That's, yes. And, and, why know, wouldn't you, you want things to continue as they for are? For sure. You know, why, you know, my kids, you know, they can't go back to, uh, to daycare and you know what i mean obviously we got to be smart about this i'm not saying we just we're going to reset back to normal that's not real obviously the people that are chronologically or biologically older or have autoimmune diseases i mean they have to be very careful you know but when i think about and particularly when i'm down here in florida i mean people are terrible drivers down here and that doesn't keep me in the house or not going on the road. I just adjust my behavior. I bought a much bigger, heavy SUV where if one of those norm <laughs> morons does run into me, I got a big, heavy vehicle. So hopefully I win. Uh, but I've adjusted my behavior. And I think we're all going to adjust our behavior going forward, no doubt. We don't know how exactly. But we have to start moving back to some sort of sense of normalcy and do it in a smart way. I would really love to see some leadership uh, here at a national level. I mean, you're going through this, you hear about now, it's like, well, you know, we really need to be able to kind of control uh, and test and do contact tracing so we don't have another wave breakout. Well, you have all these people that are unemployed. Why haven't we been hearing about the government hiring these people, the states hiring these people to do contact tracing, get them unemployed, pay them a little bit more than what they're making on unemployment, even with the extra $600 a week, get them back to work. And oh, by the way, help preclude this kind of second wave from being worse than maybe what it otherwise would be. To me, that's the thing that's a, that's a kick in the pants is it just seems like we're a nation that's kind of starved for leadership uh, in many different regards. And I just don't get the political BS that comes into this. Um, but I think that's maybe the missed opportunity. But we always seem to persevere despite all the turmoil that we have, whether it's political turmoil or this COVID situation. No doubt the people of this country and the people of this world are going to persevere. Yes, you know, things happen. People 
die. We all do at some point in time, but we are going to persevere as a people and we are going to get back to whatever the new normal is and things are going to get better. It's just the way that the world works. Uh, and it's up to you if you want to choose to believe that. Before I start keep shooting from the hip anymore, Walter, I think I hopefully have made my point about risk and uncertainty in, in this nonlinear modeling and, and maybe, you know, made some poignant points about, you know, just how retirement planning and, and some of the things that go into the same stuff that we have to do from an investment and retirement planning standpoint are the same sort of modeling things that are going on with this pandemic and risk and uncertainty are everywhere. It's just the way that the world works. And also understanding that the prognosticators, just like we've seen with some of the coronavirus talk, can end up being way off in the same thing in the financial world. You can, I mean, we've had people for years saying this is the year that the market is going to crash. This is the year the market is going to crash. This is the year. And finally, they were right this year, but they were wrong the previous six or seven years. But, you know, it's just, you know, the modeling or the, uh, you know, reasons that they had for making those predictions, even though they, you know, seemed to be very smart about it, didn't have uh, a, a great impact until it just happened to be, you know, the broken clock is right twice a day kind of thing happened this year for those predictions. And so, yeah, modeling can be way off in many different ways in life and financial planning, certainly another one of those realms that it might not be uh, correct. So you can't follow these things as gospel, especially when it involves risk and uncertainty. You know, I, I kind of on the coronavirus thing, identify with you pretty much on, on all your points, Kevin. I, I will say, I think we should sort of celebrate and and we need to remember the initial goal. The initial goal wasn't to all hide in our homes until COVID disappears. It was to flatten the curve and keep the hospitals from getting overwhelmed. And in large in a large success, a large win, we emphatically have done that. Uh, I mean, other than a couple of cases in New York City where some hospitals were definitely getting hit pretty hard, for the most part, we haven't needed to build those field hospitals and, you know, moving the ships in to place to handle the you know ridiculous overcoming amounts of patients uh, never really came to fruition. Everyone who needed a ventilator got a ventilator, and so I think that's a really yeah I think that's a win, and I think both sides yes. should be able to celebrate that. And then I think both sides, you know, we could say it's about any political conversation, but the the not necessarily politics, but just the two sides of this debate, the ones who say stay, keep it shut down, and the ones that say get it, open it up, neither one is heartless or a pansy for not wanting to go back to work or heartless because you're valuing the economy over the potential of losing, you know, a few more lives. I mean, neither one of those sides is wrong in their reasonings and the values that they have. And I think if we can drop some of that, that name calling and finger pointing and just have logical discussions like this, we can compromise and you know keep things moving forward in a right direction. So it's nice to hear you talk about those kinds of things on the show and kind of look at this from just a logical standpoint, what makes sense, giving credit where credit's due of saying the lockdowns have helped. We did flatten the curve with it, but we've got to have an adult discussion about accepting a level of risk and getting life back to normal in at least some respects too. Life is risky. I mean, we're all, we're all going to go is. at some point from something. You can't. Uh, there's, I, I don't know who said it, but um, a lot of times when, when it comes to investing, people want to. A common question going through March as well, like how are we going to protect our assets? Well, you you can't you can't hedge the world. You can't take away the risk completely of investing. I mean, if you if you go to cash, you're introducing all kinds of either timing risk. You have tons of inflation risk. It's just which risks are you comfortable accepting. 
And I think when you start in granted, we have uncertainty and there's, I, I remember years ago and Walter, you have a much better memory. Well, you speak about these things better than I do. That's why I guess that's why you're on podcasts and radio uh, as much as you are. Um, but Donald Rumsfeld, uh, when president Bush was in office, are you, had, are you are you going mission accomplished here? Th- no, no, no. It's like okay. the known unknowns, the known, uh, the, the unknown. I uh, see. I'm screwed Yes, up. I know the so, quote you're talking about. Uh, yes, yeah, I, have a, uh, I have a lot of sympathy for him right now, or empathy for him because I'm just mucking it up just as bad as he did. The unknown unknowns. <laughs> the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns. I mean, it was. It didn't roll <laughs> off his tongue that well. But he's definitely, uh, he was definitely onto something when it gets into this risk and uncertainty. I mean, we have to accept, we're accepting risk every day. You know, whether you're staying in the house or going out of the house, I mean, it's, we're taking this to a, a, a point that is probably absurd, which hopefully makes the point even clearer. But it, it's just the way that the world works. The world is a risky place. It doesn't mean it's a bad place. It's a risky place. And so I think we just have to, we have to accept that and know that, you know, things aren't going to be perfect. It's not all sunshines and rainbows and unicorns as my six-year-old believes, but but it can be a good place and it is a good place and it's up to you how you want to experience it as well. Here, here it is, Kevin, for you. Something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know, but there are also unknown unknowns the ones we don't know we don't know <laughs> you, you know what he said it you know i apologize to donald rumsfeld he that was very eloquent now that i hear it again and but it still is a, a, a confusing quote that's for sure <laughs> it's confusing but it's very profound and he was very accurate so kudos to him for saying that i mean he's um I mean, it's exactly what we're talking about uh, risk versus uncertainty I mean, he's just saying it another way but you know that's the world yeah, yeah. Tell me what I don't know. I don't know is uh, kind of an important thing to remember in lots of different phases in life, and uh, it's just, uh, it's just. I think maybe the other thing you were thinking of was the quote: "Life is inherently risky." Was that the? Uh, There's only one big risk you should avoid at all costs, and that's the risk of doing nothing. I've always thought that was a that was a pretty good one as well. Yeah, I hadn't heard that one, but yeah, no, I like it. Yeah, I'm very comfortable with risk, uh, but I'm also very, um, as a person anyway, as me personally, I'm comfortable with risk, but I'm also very comfortable uh, or very proactive in kind of planning for uh, uncertainty. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's those are the things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what that's what a good that's what we have to do when it comes to retirement planning. It's, I mean, there's, well, I won't, I won't. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and put a cap on my shooting from the hip. <laughs> I could continue. You're, you're kind of you're gonna pass on to one of the other experts now, right? <laughs> yes, and you did a fantastic job, kind of summarizing some of the things that that I was saying. So I very much appreciate you, Walter. I don't know if I've ever I've told you that, but I don't think I've ever put it out on our <laughs> podcast waves. So thank you very much for making me sound even better than maybe what I. Did didn't earlier. Well, you did a great job of shooting from the hip. So I say, do it more often. You're you're okay shooting from the hip. You you get fly, uh, you pass with flying colors today. So great great job on that. Uh, as always, if you've got any questions for Kevin Krosky, feel free to reach out. It's easy to do so. If you want to talk a little bit about your own financial plan, about how you've structured things to prepare for retirement or your financial future, and, and you know we we covered a lot of ground on today's episode, even shooting from the hip, talked about a lot of important things. And if you're not getting that kind of analysis and that kind of level of thought going into your financial plan, ask yourself why. Why is that the case? Uh, If you've got any questions for Kevin,
Kevin, reach out by calling 855-TWD-PLAN. That's TWD-PLAN, 855-TWD-PLAN. Or go online to truewealthdesign.com. That's truewealthdesign.com. And click on the Are We Right For You button to schedule your 15-minute call with an experienced advisor on the True Wealth team. Kevin, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate the help and the guidance. You brought up some great information, points, and things to think about on today's episode. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Thank you, Walter. All right. Have a good one. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.